1: Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling in the UK and beyond. My name's
2: Ned Bolting.
3: I'm Adam Tranter.
2: And I'm Laura Laker.
1: Now, we've got a special guest who I'm going to introduce uh, pretty much straight away. And the topic for this discussion on this particular podcast is as follows. Advertising. It's everywhere. And while most people think it doesn't affect them, research shows it undoubtedly impacts the decisions we make. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother doing it, would they? Tobacco advertising has been banned. Will car advertising eventually become the new smoking? Well, to discuss that this week, we have, and other things, uh, Leo Murray from Possible. And We're going to jump right in with him to discuss the topic. Uh, Just for a bit of background, Possible has co-authored two recent reports that you might be aware of if you've been uh, uh, paying attention recently on SUVs and car advertising. Smoking Out the Climate, that was about lessons from the advertising ban on tobacco for tackling the climate emergency, published in August 2020, and also Mind Games on Wheels, all about how advertising sold false promises of safety and superiority in SUVs. And that was published uh, very recently, in fact, in April 2021. So welcome, Leo. Thanks very much for joining us. I know that you've been doing the rounds in media today, which is something we might, might be able to talk about a little bit later. But just to kick things off, um, tell us about possible, um, and how you, who you are exactly, and how you got involved and how it all got started.
4: Thanks, Ned. Um, Yeah, great to be on the show. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So um, it's, oh, nice, it's, nice, it's, nice, to it's on, nice to be here. It's nice to be here. True on. story, true story. <laughs> um, so I'm Leo Murray. I am Director of Innovation at the Climate Change Charity Possible, which I also helped to co-found. It used to be called 1010. So for a long time, we were called 1010 Climate Action. And it, it started as a as a partnership with The Guardian off the back of a film. It was almost the last thing Pete Postlethwaite did before he died. Uh, It's called The Age of Stupid. Um, And uh, that was a film about a kind of apocalyptic future where everything had been ruined by climate change. And Pete Postlethwaite, last man standing, looking back at uh, footage from the turn of the century, saying, why did we not do anything about this problem when we knew about it and we had a chance? Um so 1010 was originally just about cutting 10% of our emissions in 2010. Um and it was in the run-up, we launched it in the run-up to the Copenhagen Climate Conference, uh, which you know some listeners would be old enough to remember, uh, Copenhagen and all of that. Um and that was kind of the high watermark of certainly British public concern about climate change until Greta and Extinction Rebellion. Um, you know, 10 years later. Um, so the point of possible, what do we do? It, it's, uh, you know, what makes us different, I suppose, from peers in uh, in the environmental NGO sector is that we try to stay positive. Um, and in particular, it's positive practical action. So we try to get people together to actually do something about climate change rather than just complain about it. So um, it's not like we don't ever do a petition, but, you know, I, I guess a lot of what my peers in the sector do is sort of professional complaining. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, there is a lot of that. It's very well served, I guess, uh, you know, trying to make people angry about climate change or the, the, things, that, um, the things that the government are not doing about it. And, and mostly we try to get people inspired about how the world would be a better place if we did something about climate change. And uh and actually offer people practical opportunities to do stuff about it. So we have a program which has recently launched called Car Free Cities, um, which is looking at uh you know, the imperative in our climate change targets when, when you look at what needs to happen in terms of um, reduction in vehicle miles driven in the UK, the implications of that that won't be evenly distributed, the amount we need to reduce those miles, and it makes sense to focus on cities. Most of us live in cities. And uh it never made sense. Even if climate change wasn't a thing, you would you wouldn't want everybody driving around in single occupancy private vehicles in cities anyway, because it makes them worse places to live. So um uh that's that's you know, we've got that whole program. And then the advertising project, which you were just talking about, our partnership with the New Weather Institute, is um is a separate project, but it, of course there's an awful lot of overlap. And what we are doing there, it's a, it's it's a bit of a departure for us actually, because it is a bit of a no campaign, I guess. You know what we're saying is, you know, we work on behaviour change if possible, and actually, though people pr- practitioners in behaviour change will know that um, it's no good just asking somebody to change their uh, routine habits without changing the choice architecture within which those decisions are made. And so that applies to hard things like infrastructure. So, you know, the th- what's in fact, I, th- I think I've heard Ian, Ian Walker speak about this on this podcast. You know, the strongest determinant of whether somebody cycles to work is not their attitudes on the environment or any demographic information. It's not income or gender. It's just, is there a cycle lane or isn't there a cycle lane? And if there's a cycle lane, people are much more likely to cycle to work. So hard stuff. It's very important for choice architecture, but actually so is the soft stuff as well. So is the cultural water in which we swim and um, uh, advertising dominates cultural output and is really undifferentiated in, in terms of, you know, there are no curbs on advertising things which are extremely carbon intensive. And that's what our campaign is is seeking to introduce because we have public policy goals around climate change that, that everybody agrees these are very important. Meanwhile, we have a multi-multi-billion pound industry which is pushing us to do, the th- do things which we know we need to do less of. And it's very, very difficult to make progress on behaviour change, getting people to uh, behave in ways that are more consistent with tackling climate change. Mm. when you're swimming yeah. against that tide you know that huge tide
2: yeah um in, before i became a journalist i was uh, i was studying to be a dietitian, and one thing that i learned and one thing that kind of pulled me away from dietetics and towards kind of cycling was that you can tell people all you like what what they need to be doing for their health and and whatever but actually if you're not changing the environment or you're not kind of supporting them to make those changes then then people's habits are ingrained and, and it really, yeah. And it really is the kind of little things that make a difference, but in order to make that happen, it
4: helps. Exactly. What's on the menu. You know, when I was growing up, there were no vegan <laughs> options. There were no vegan sandwiches, right? I grew up, I was turned vegetarian as a child and I just knew I, they, you know, there were two sandwiches I could eat. It was the egg mayonnaise sandwich and the and the cheese sandwich. And that's what yeah. was on all the sandwich shelves. So there was no vegan option. So you couldn't like you that couldn't in places. Yes, yeah, many the, places.
1: Let's, let's be honest. The whole confusion between vegans and vulcans only got <laughs> only got cleared <laughs> yeah, only got cleared up about eight or ten years ago in this country. Prior to that, nobody yeah. understood. Let's l- be l- live long and prosper. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
3: Um, Leah, how how entrenched is 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 all of this? And I kind of like my my little it's not an anecdote, but something that someone told me and always sort of stuck with me is, is back when motor cars became popular. Um, originally the, the, the kind of motor lobbyists managed to persuade um, the, the U S authorities to make jaywalking a crime mm. and jays at the time, jay was, you know, a slur sort of meant dirty hillbilly effectively. It wasn't a nice thing to call somebody. So to call a jaywalker, you know, was demonizing pedestrians. So even then, you know, there was the, being smart enough to try and, make sure that the car had sort of you know un- unfiltered access to to all of our lives what what are we up against in terms of the size of the the, the industry and how entrenched this is in in our uh, in our in our lives oh,
4: well i mean it, it it literally dominates cultural output so in terms of sort of cultural texts so uh film produced you know um artwork design work um cultural output is mostly advertising today so my my career you know i got into this climate change campaigning th- originally through activism but i my previous career was an animator that's what i'm trained to do and i worked as an animator in, in soho for for a few years um and mostly what i did was make adverts and I, st- I you know i stopped doing it because i couldn't square what i knew about climate change with what i was going to work to do every day um you know if you look at just just the auto Industry uh, spends over a billion dollars in the UK each year um, pushing cars at us. And um, you you know, everybody, your listeners will know, and you know, everybody in this conversation knows that we need people to use cars less, buy cars less. You know, we need we need fewer cars being sold in the UK. So being up against that, over a billion dollars, you know, $1.2 billion, that's 2018. That's our that's our most recent count um you know what what do you do against that even a public information you know a big public information campaign from the government urging people not to buy cars which of course they're not doing would still come in at only a fraction of that kind of spend so you know this is a problem that is very broad and i think it kind of goes to the heart of the issue uh the you know the climate change issue in general which is fundamentally about overconsumption um in rich nations uh and when I say overconsumption, I mean, you know, people consuming a lot more material, goods, resources, energy than they need to uh to meet their meet their needs and even meet even meet wants around their own well-being and life satisfaction. Um and so mm-hmm. advertising is you know is a key engine that drives that overconsumption and in particular very carbon intensive products and services. So things like SUVs flights um, and, and fossil fuels themselves, um, it's really clear that allowing these things to be pushed market aggressively to consumers at the same time as consumers are being asked to make changes in their lives, which, um, which are more consistent with, with reducing emissions, this doesn't make any sense. You know, we, we, we're, we're pulling people in two different directions at once.
2: And you've compared this to the um, one of your reports, um, compared uh, kind of car advertising to smoking advertising, tobacco advertising. And it's amazing looking through your report. I think back in the 80s, the Radio Times started stopping advertising tobacco. And it was sort of it took 20 years for everyone else to catch up. No, 10 years, 10, 15 years for everyone else to catch up. And it it really kind of wasn't an uphill struggle, but it it did start to crack the Kind of crack the um the case, isn't it? Because there's no way that anyone else has the kind of money of the car industry to counter those advertisements. I mean, every time you go to the cinema, remember the cinema? Uh, it's just like it's just car advertising, isn't it? It's incredible. I'm always like, oh, and then you watch the films,
3: and then you watch the films with the cars in. Oh
2: yeah, Yeah. and then like the guy on the bike is kind of the (laughs) weirdo. I saw a film recently. I don't even want to tell you what the guy was, but he's like coming into he's coming into the scene with like a helmet, and you're like, this guy is really like it's like a a very dodgy character.
1: Do you remember National Lampoon's European Vacation and Chevy Chase knocks over Chevy Chase is driving a car badly in the UK because he's American so he doesn't understand left and right and all that sort of thing. And he, I think it I think it's that film when he knocks Eric Idle off his bike, doesn't he? No. And of course Eric Idle being British plays to all those clichés, gets up and apologizes, you know. So, yeah, you're right. The cyclist is always the klutz. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true.
4: It's a very common trope. But but, but I remember
1: when the tobacco industry was kind of trying to wriggle out of the ban on advertising. And it it used to claim, I think, I don't think I've made this up, that that it wasn't so much about, you know, their campaigns weren't so much about persuading new smokers to take it up. They were about um, protecting their share of the market against rivals. And I, I presume the car industry would argue the same thing. So Ford would say, actually, we're not persuading people to Drive cars. We're persuading people not to buy Renaults and to buy fords yes. instead.
4: Well, that's absolutely right. So that was that was that was the story that the industry were telling about it. Now, of course, what happened after the tobacco burn was introduced was that there were very many fewer new smokers being created. So it was effective at uh, at solving a problem which um, the industry said didn't exist. So. Um, when you look at the comparison today, so it's very interesting because we published that report in, um, in summer last year, our our, our first report um, highlighting that there was a problem here. Uh, And, and what then happened was the, you know, both industries responded. So the car industry responded and so did the advertising industry. And they said a sort of range of, of incoherent things about, about why our campaign was a terrible idea and, and, and it wouldn't work. and, the auto industry said, "Oh, advertising has nothing to do with it. You know, people buy the cars that they need, and advertising is irrelevant." Um, and the advertising agency said, "Both this is yeah the the advertising well the, the ASA what they said was um, the advertising association this is what they said was both that a ban on advertising SUVs would be ineffective, but also that the right solution." Was a massive public information campaign, which they would be very happy to help with, um, hmm. to persuade people to live greener lifestyles. Right, so the solution, basically, banning advertisers—if you had that—won't work. But if you give us a lot more money, we'll run a we'll run a public information campaign um, to, to tell people not to buy them. I mean, just pretty wild stuff. So I think it's worth us saying, you know. That campaign, the advertising campaign, is about kind of problematizing advertising and kind of bringing to the fore its role, which is largely invisible in driving the environmental crisis that we're facing. And we alighted on SUVs because there is such a simple story to tell there. So where you know what the auto industry said, the SMMT when we launched this campaign, they just said SUVs are just popular. People want to buy SUVs. And, you know, there's this sort of narrative that advertising just reflects just passively reflects consumer demand. So trends in consumer demand. Um
2: and but actually they're they're kind of aggressively advertising these things, aren't they? Your report said something like sixty-six percent of Ford's advertising in twenty eighteen was for SUVs. Yeah. Uh, in car advertising. They're really kind of pushing these vehicles and then so then claiming that it's um so, there's a, really good, there's
4: a really good example that gives the lie to that, right? Because um, the Ford Fiesta is one of the most popular cars ever made. Um, so, it's, it, uh, in the UK, it's still the most popular u- new car. And last year, 49,000 Ford Fiestas were sold. Um, it's re- consistently highest selling car of the decade. And back in sort of 2014, 2015, it was also an extremely popular car in the United States. But it's not profitable for Ford. So last year, um, in fact, 2019, Ford discontinued the Ford Fiesta in the United States. Now, that wasn't because it was an unpopular car with consumers. It was because it was an unprofitable car. They just don't make enough money on each unit, whereas their SUVs and their pickup trucks make them $10,000 a pop. And so from an amoral corporate perspective, it makes sense for you to shift your market and spend away from your unprofitable product lines and towards your profitable product lines. But it just so happens that the profitable product lines are much larger, more dangerous, and much, much more polluting vehicles. And so that is, you, you know, you can trace this, it's really clear. So between, between 2016 and 2018, Ford completely switched up its um, in market and spend. So that. It's now eighty five percent of their market of spend in the US is on SUVs and pickup trucks. So it's it's super clear, you know. You just walk through this process and you can see how advertising is being used to accelerate demand for yeah. these dirty vehicles. You know, it's yeah. really obvious. Their fingerprints are all over it. Um,
2: and, and they're I, not even being used kind of off road, are they? I had I actually had two Ford Fiestas, Mark One and Mark Two. Uh,
4: Oh, show off! Back
2: in the back in the day, they were very old at the time. But yeah, I mean, we used to take them off road. I'd take them to all sorts of places, and uh, yeah, you didn't really, you didn't need a four by four. back well, that, when I were a lad, um, yeah, that should
3: but, be the Ford's latest advertising campaign. You should be the ambassador. Yeah, just <laughs> saying, you don't need a four by four. I used to have a Ford Fiesta. I,
1: I've got, I've got, a, I've got a confession to make. Um, last weekend, I had to make an essential journey to Newcastle, and I had to do it by car because I had to get around. So I had to hire a car and i i um i went to collect it there's a depot a hire company about a mile up the road i went to collect it on my brompton and i uh, i happened to be wearing my hoodie that i ordered from new york that says um, <laughs> th- that says the wall of cars <laughs> From the podcast, brilliant. Yeah. So I had, I had, who you said the war on cars on it, and I turned yeah. up on a Brompton to collect to collect my car <laughs> that I'd booked, and um, and they, but they'd run out of the standard little compact car that I'd ordered, and um, so I got a free upgrade, and the only mm. car that I could pick up that day was an SUV. So uh, I've just been, ha- I, I've just been driving one up and down the A1M. <laughs> so I, I, sh- I kind of had to disqualify myself from this conversation. Except to say, except to say this, and I I think I said this on an earlier episode uh, a while ago, that one of my big kind of issues with this is that they are... Horribly well designed. I mean, they are. You know, they are. They the the. If you like the cockpit design, the kind of sense of comfort and easement, and kind of like control and power. They're on wheels, have, aren't they? They're it's, it's phenomenal. I you know I've I only hire occasionally hire cars, and by definition, they're always brand new. And it always shocks me mm. how how amazing a brand new car is, kind of thing. And it appeals to the very worst in me. And it's quite hard not to crack that, isn't it? Because you know, unlike. Unlike t- tobacco and cigarettes, it's very, it's pretty hard to stand that one up ultimately, wasn't it? So what, why do you carry on smoking? Oh, well, because that's, you know, with SUVs, you know, you're always going to have people saying, th- but, they're, but they're an amazing tool. I need this thing in my life, you know. Um, it's, mm. it's, it's a, t- it's a yeah. tough one.
4: I mean, that, that, that response that we got from the industry saying, well, people just buy the cars that they need, you know, um, and who are you to tell people what, what cars are? You don't know what's going on in people's lives. That was the sort of attitude. And so one of the things that we did in response to that was get the DFT to break down the sales figures for SUVs in, in the UK. And what, what we found was 76% of SUVs that were sold in the UK last year were registered to urban addresses. And even, even right, so there is a question, what is an SUV? Because it's a bit of a, it's a woolly, you know, it's a slippery fish, actually, an, an SUV. We'll, I'll come back to that. But even for large SUVs, which are have four-wheel drives, have actual off-road capability, um, it's still two-thirds of those registered to urban addresses right um so kensington and chelsea is is indeed the capital it's the range rover capital of britain one in every 10 new cars sold in kensington and chelsea or bought in kensington chelsea is a range rover and 36 percent of them are large suvs and there are no off-roading opportunities in west london i live in west london um you know we've had tony devonish who i'm sure i know you're all familiar with Tony so Devonish in the last couple of weeks has has come out saying that West Londoners uh, need these vehicles. Um, big, uh, basically, he seemed to be saying because they've got second homes in the countryside. That was, yeah, yeah, that, was that he made. Yeah,
2: if I can um, do it in my Fiesta, then then yeah, you don't need. Because <laughs> that was one of the four. There were like you identified like four things that the uh, advertise SUV advertisers were kind of. Were kind of selling to people and it was like get back to nature mm. was one dominate the road was two, help the environment was three and protect your family was four and the only real one that they were actually doing was dominating the road exactly, and the others right. weren't really like they're not safer people don't really go on like cool adventures in them and and yeah and they're exactly yeah. there and they don't almost, help the environment
4: <laughs> they're used off-road they certainly don't help the environment and i think you've you've written about um about how they are not any safer right yeah. so that's a really Part of the message, the psychology of SUVs, what's being sold to people, you know, and why you see so many, so many mums driving around in them in West London. You know, it's a really core part of it is keep your family safe. Mm. And, you know, the irony there is that actually SUVs originally had quite a niche appeal. So Sport- um, it stands for sports utility vehicle. It does. It yeah. stands for sports utility vehicle. And, you know, if you well, like if badminton. You
1: read- badminton and- Bad- badminton. Uh, you're stuff you're, like that, you're or... not thinking
4: of the right sport. Running the then. desert. <laughs>
1: not oh, you can not badminton. What have they got to do with sports? <laughs>
4: um, so originally, you know, they they come. Their heritage is they are military vehicles originally, and then they sort of migrated onto farms um, and and back again. So it's you know it's worth reading the whole mind games on wheels report which goes through the history of the the evolution of an SUV and how they came to be sold to uh, ordinary families living in cities to do their shopping. The message about about dominate the road and keep your family safe, you're not any safer in an SUV, you're in more danger. So you're more likely to die in a crash uh, than a a, a passenger in another car, Um, but you are much more likely to kill a pedestrian. And so other road users are endangered. By, by the rise in SUVs, right? So, objectively, they make the roads a more dangerous place for other road particularly vulnerable road users, but also people in other cars. And so that's created a bit of an arms race. So, er, although originally SUVs were marketed to quite a small niche of people who were really into kind of macho military style vehicles, part of the way that the appeal is spread is by just it's an an arms race on the roads. It doesn't feel safe to be driving around in a little Ford Fiesta when you've got um, whopping great trucks. Well,
3: it's like that little, that little graphic that always does around on the internet, which is, you know, Timmy, Timmy would like to walk to school, but there's too many cars. So we drive him instead. And it's, it's that, it's that thing where we all have to then end up in this arms race to protect ourselves against other larger vehicles. And the larger the vehicle you, you, you have the, the more ownership you feel. Um, of of the road, in terms of um, Leo, in terms of the Mind Games report, Mind Games and Wheels, um, we talked a lot about the climate, which is obviously one part of it. But just in terms of you know every day, we talked a little bit about pedestrian safety. There, in terms of the, even if you weren't in, interested in the climate, we should all be interested in the climate. But let's say we weren't. When it comes to you know what our cities are like, when it comes to active travel. Um, and all of these, uh, and congestion, which affects, you know, congestion causes air pollution and um, climate change. But it's a, it's annoying uh, as well to to a lot of people. What did what does the auto industry come? What are the falsehoods that they advertise? I always see the adverts where the cities have no other cars in them. That always cracks me up. Um, but what what are the other tactics that that I guess are, are conning us?
4: So there aren't, it's, it's unusual to, it's actually unusual for them to even use a city, you know. So SUV adverts typically show the SUV on an open road in the countryside somewhere. And very often in sort of some rugged mountainous terrain, you know, on a coastal road or, yeah, at the top of a mountain driving through the desert. Um, you know, it's mostly natural settings. When they do depict cities, like you say, They are cities that are completely devoid of other cars um, and usually devoid of other people as well. Um, So, you know, the the imagery of this stuff is actually, originally it shot through violence. Um, So that's a really consistent theme in the early uh, SUV ads and a a brilliant one from from Britain for Range Rovers. Um, I'm not going to forget the catchphrase now, but it's... uh, it double barreled um only the yeah suvs it's not suvs range rovers are for uh are are the only choice for the double barreled and it's a picture of a landed gentry with a shotgun on a on a chute you know double double meaning uh posh and armed um and that that's who they were originally targeting those vehicles at um (laughs) but the you know the 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 safety thing has kind of emerged i i would say i would say of the f- different psychological themes that are played up in this stuff the sa- the safety theme and and because unlike the other unlike the other aspects you know so the freedom thing and escape to nature um is it contains the seeds of its own downfall, right so the more the more successful you are at selling these things to people, the less it becomes possible to escape from, uh, to escape to nature, right? To escape from other cars, because wherever you go, there's a load of cars there already. There's a load of SUVs there. Whereas um, the dominate the road thing, you know, the more dangerous you make the road for other road users, the more likely they are then to, um, you know, so it, it sort of creates its own market the SUV, by making it impossible to, 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 to do other things. And I think, you know, your question about the kind of, you know, the other impacts that beyond, beyond emissions, one of the things that we did when we looked at the, uh, you know, when we were first doing the categorization um, lookup tables from the European Environment Agency uh, registration stats was we looked at wheelbase. Now the, uh, uh, what we found was 150,000 new cars were sold in the UK in 2019 that are physically too large to fit in a standard parking space. Now that is something, you know, it will be familiar to everyone. You you, you can, you can see it. Cars just sticking out, you know, cars that are too wide to open the doors if you just park in a car park um, and you've got parallel parking on either side of you. And at a time when, you know, space is at a premium in our cities, um, so that's that's a kind of you know it, it was a it was a bit of an aside really, um, but we thought it would be an interesting thing to look at. And yeah, you know, adding one hundred fifty thousand vehicles to the to the roads that don't fit in parking spaces, you know, what's happening is you've got local authorities who are going around repainting the lines and making their parking spaces bigger instead of thinking. Hold on a minute, you know, it's a bit. It reminds me of that Lewis Mumford quote, which is actually about road building. You know, which is it's like tackling obesity by adding another. You know, loosening your belt. It's um, you know, it's the it's the wrong. Approach. It's like, hold on a minute. You know, people haven't got bigger. <laughs> you know, the, the people well, driving around well, these we, things. We, we
3: have because we've been selling <laughs> SUVs, actually.
4: Yeah, well, there there, <laughs> there is that. But yeah, we're not carrying around. We're not carrying more stuff or anything. You know, Um, um well,
2: one of the reasons. I mean, the reason why they're so dangerous, and more, much more dangerous for pedestrians and people on bikes, that. Their fronts are higher, isn't it? And so you're mm. more likely to get the vital organs than the lower limbs hit someone. And that's, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Particularly but,
4: children. Yeah. Because, you you know, particularly children are much, much more likely to die in a, you know, in a collision and with yeah, an you can- There was that
3: episode of, um, sorry, episode of Top Gear years and years ago where they managed to fit 15 school children behind a, a Range Rover without it being visible in any of the yes. mirrors. Like... Uh, it's just, I mean, and yeah, it's just nuts. It's just nuts.
2: Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of feel you, I mean, where I live, the roads can be quite narrow residential roads and already the cars kind of hang over the middle line when people are driving towards you. And if you're cycling, it's quite, and it's even more scary when it's like this massive thing and out in the countryside on a weekend ride, it just feels like it feels kind of much more, much more dangerous. Um, so, so you kind of, you've kind of suggested um, ways that, that, that we can tackle this as a society, but I mean, I guess it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen overnight, but you, you, in your report, you're calling for an end to SUV advertising and for ad agencies to reject, reject taking work from, Mm. I mean, we take, we're probably talking about, well, we are talking about billions of pounds of advertising revenue in.
4: We are, and that's, you know, that, that, that's the, exactly, that's, you know, the difficulty is that it's a lot of people are paid not to understand this stuff, you know? I think that that, you know there are a lot of problems, a lot of social uh, negatives um, that fall out of the shift to large, more polluting vehicles. But when it comes to climate change, you know we have legally binding targets on this, and uh, you know the International Energy Agency has flagged this, has flagged SUVs as a problem globally. It's not just it's not just in the UK where they're now over forty percent of sales. It's it's in every major car market in the world, and. The, the shift to SUVs is responsible for um, the second largest increase in emissions over the last few years after the power generation sector. So in the UK, since 2016, the average CO2 emissions from a new car sold have been rising. They were falling until 2016 because of vehicle fuel efficiency standards, at which point they started to rise again. And the motor industry were like, "Oh, this is because people switch from diesel to petrol, but actually when you look at the data that's not true. It's because people have been switching to SUVs at this uh, ridiculous rate. So 2019 well the four years running up to 2019 thirty seven SUVs were sold in the UK for every electric vehicle um, and so and so it's pretty clear that this is pushing us in the opposite direction from where we need to go. Transport emissions have not fallen at all in the UK since 1990. So we think that there's a really clear imperative here. And uh, actually, this is, is, relatively speaking, this is quite a light touch solution to it, because what we're calling for is for the dirtiest third of vehicles to no longer be allowed to be advertised in the UK. So we're supposed to be averaging 95 grams of CO2 per kilometre, for um for new cars sold in the UK now that's a, that's that's across the EU but we're we're aligned in the UK and um a lot of these SUVs are clocking more than 200 right so w- we frame this around SUVs because that is a popularly understood category now we have had a lot of people you know car nerds angrily saying to I've got an electric SUV and things like this but the truth is when you look at the figures if you look at the, the the top 10 most polluting vehicles that are for sale in the UK, the top 10 percent of the most uh, the most polluting, and then you look at those by sales volume, all of the all of the actually popular cars, the cars that are causing the problem, they're all SUVs, right? so all, all 10 of the top 10 most polluting cars by sales volume are SUVs. And so this would have the effect. banning the dirtiest third would have the effect of banning basically. Or, or, or large SUV ad, adverts.
3: Um, do you think that the the, the government will might just, or, or people might just say in the kind of free market that we we have that this problem, you know, this problem will. I, I don't agree with it, but this problem will solve itself. And and then does that link because people will people's habits will change in the same way that SUVs um, have made change their habit once. I do think you know EVs. Are growing in sales um, considerably, and I, uh, my general awareness has been much, uh, much higher in my local area about people driving EVs. So, you know, people are going to start to promote EVs using car advertising, the same techniques, the same tactics. And then, what problem will that cause? Because you know, for when I get overtaken by a massive Tesla, I it's still massive. It's still you know, it's still going to kill me if I'm a pedestrian. Yeah, um, and also it's still got however many tons of, you know, embedded carbon in, in manufacture. So, you know, how dangerous is this kind of sleepwalk into the system will solve itself. And I know that you sit on some department for transport kind of panels and talk about this. Like what, what, you know, do we think that this is going to be a, the, the next problem just electric vehicles and electric suv advertising yes
4: yeah, so i think there's kind of two there's two questions there one one is around our electric suvs is that is that a good is that a good solution to the problem that we've identified and um the answer is no because yes okay the co2 emissions at you know at the point of use they're, they're, they're gone but these vehicles are much heavier so an electric SUV is a lot heavier than the regular SUV that increases tire wear and road wear. And of course, that's where most of the particulate pollution actually comes from. Um, and so it doesn't make that problem go away. Actually, they're heavier vehicles, they're more likely to kill people when they do hit them as well. And so there's not, you're not going to see any improvement in, um, in pedestrian and cyclist casualties. Or, um, or, you know, collisions between between cars either. And actually, this is about resource efficiency. Ultimately, like a really big part of rising to the climate change challenge is about doing more with less. And that's not what an electric SUV is. You know, uh, you, you have to remember that private cars in the UK spend over 95% of their time stationary. And so making electric vehicle... Has higher embedded emissions than making a fossil fueled vehicle. So, in manufacture, um, it's significantly more tons of carbon are emitted to produce an asset that is then spends, you know, 95% of its time stationary doing nothing at all. And and so that's electric SUVs are not a good idea because it's just an enormous amount of resource which is going into something which just doesn't need doesn't need to happen. And then more broadly, the the problem, the concern about EVs when it comes to climate change is that. Uh, people put all their eggs in one basket, you know, it looks superficially like a really attractive solution. If you're a politician and you're like, you want to minimise disruption, you want to minimise people complaining to you about doing things about climate change, then it just feels like a like for like, brilliant. You can just swap this in. Now the first problem with that is a sort of stock and flow analysis, which is that from the point at which you stop selling petrol and diesel vehicles, and 100% of new cars being sold are electric vehicles, it will still take 20 odd years for nine out of 10 cars on the the road to be electric, right? Because that's how it works. So there's a very long tail. So you also need a large reduction. And in fact, in the run up to stopping selling those cars, you need a large reduction in the vehicle miles being driven on the roads and electric vehicles are cheaper to run. They're cheaper to run, they're cheaper to use. And so DFT models show the switch to EVs actually increasing substantially increasing the, the the vehicle miles driven and of course the road network's not getting any bigger and it's already at capacity uh, uh, you know uh, uh, in many many places and in particular in our cities and so congestion is liable to massively worsen if if our only strategy is switching to electric vehicles and that's why you know fundamentally that brings me back to like that car free cities campaign that we have it makes it yes we need electric vehicles you know we can't meet our climate change targets without switching to electric vehicles but we need them in places where private motorized transport is realistically the only option and that is you know rural rural places basically it's places where you've got sparse sparse population density. Um, and you can't, and therefore you can't support that like, fixed, fixed infrastructure, public transport, um, in cities, you just don't want any private cars at all. And, um, you know, if you take London where I live, the mayoral transport strategy is for 80% of trips to be made by walking, cycling or public transport by 2041. In inner London, that figure is 90%. Now, it makes no sense in a scenario where you are you're doing everything you can to get people not to use their cars. Why have cars on the streets in inner London boroughs if we're not going to let people use them at all? Actually, what we should have is a bolder vision here, which is to completely eradicate private cars from certainly from inner London boroughs. Um, we're a m- minority of people own cars and have access to cars in inner in London boroughs today anyway.
2: So uh, I'm just thinking about kind of. What people can do, like, like how how uh, how we can kind of solve the problem? Just the four of us mm. solve the SUV ha, ha, problem. Well. Solve the car advertising problem. We've got fifteen. We've got ten minutes.
3: We we could chip in like a tenner, yeah, and then we could put an advert out saying, "Don't buy SUVs."
2: <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha. I'll, put it, I'll write it on the back of my rucksack for, for when I'm cycling. Um, but no, I mean seriously. Um, the so when we had. Uh, uh, places like the Radio Times, one of the pioneers of uh, stopping cigarette advertising, is that kind of? Does that kind of thing have an impact? Yes. And what is it? And can we ask our, the people that we're? A lot of people are subscribers to news organisations now. Can we ask them? Is it yeah. reasonable to ask them, given the advertising revenues for journalism, as kind of? Well, that's the you the know deck? yes that
4: that's that, the difficult that's, one. Some people do complain but complain to us about that, um you know that journalism's already on on its knees, and you know relies on advertising revenue but of course you know if you were to ban the the car industry from advertising suvs that would just they would they would it's not like they would stop spending money on advertising right they would just they would they would be forced to advertise less polluting models (laughs) Um, now it comes to what can people do so for a start we have a petition open at the moment which you can find on the badverts.org Website, which um, will sit behind a letter that we will write to the DCMS ministers asking culture, for this. Uh, the culture
2: from, Department from Culture, Media and Sport. Yeah, exactly.
4: Uh, they're, they're technically responsible for regulating advertising. And so it'd uh, be great to get as many names as possible on that. But, you know, at a more practical sort of or a more a closer to home level, actually, there is a lot of advertising that is controlled by bodies that have a public service remit in some way. So in particular, passenger transport authorities, so, uh, transport for London, but you know, all over, all over the UK, you have passenger transport authorities. They answer to city administrations and councillors. So they're ultimately democratically controlled and they control a lot of advertising space. And so it's, it really, is incredibly perverse to see an SUV ad on a bus stop, right? But oh, we've all my, we've all seen my,
3: it. My favourite advert was in Euston Station, um, and uh, it was in the Underground, and it had a digital moving moving billboard for for Vauxhall Corsa of all things, and it basically had like the 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 um, scenario was cattle class, and there was loads of people in a train, and then it switched back, and there was a Vauxhall Corsa, and it said first class. I I I, I remember. This is mental. That is
4: like that's the you know that is the perfect that's the sort of archetype. It makes no sense. And actually, councillors, you know, most most local councillors of you know across the political spectrum are in it. You know, are in it to help their neighbourhoods, and um, will recognise that there's there's a sort of there's a really clear mismatch here between public policy goals that they're pursuing in other ways, and then they're allowing. There's stuff to be promoted on in spaces that they control. Now, many councillors don't know that they have any powers in this regard. Um, and so that's what we've been finding as people have been writing to councillors. But we've got there is a motion um, that has already passed first stage in Liverpool City Council to ban SUV ads and other other high carbon advertising.
2: Are we talking billboards?
4: We thought Yes, bill, it's billboards and bus stops for the main part. Now, Transport for London obviously also has the London Underground Network, and we will be taking this up with the new mayor after May um, to try to, you know. So TFL is a good example of a space where uh, there is a lot of advertising that many, many people see every day that is controlled by a public body, and already there are curbs. So there's loads of precedent. TFL don't allow adverts from... For instance, uh, companies that are headquartered in countries that have the death penalty for gay sex, you know, so that th- 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 we've got social criteria for al- allowing or disallowing adverts in, in those kind of public realm spaces, out of home advertising, it's called. And so that's a really good place to start. So, um, you know, we've got a right to counsellor action on the badverts.org website, you um, It'll need a bit of rejigging after the elections because that's, that's how it works. But, um, you know, that is a really good place to start. And then right into, right into media outlets, of course, the Guardian, we should give them a shout out now because they have, the Guardian have already banned fossil fuel adverts. They will not take adverts from oil companies anymore. They will they do take, take flight car ads. Adverts, that's right. They do take car ads. They do take flight ads. And they've defended that by saying, you know, we, we can't take the hit. But, um, you know, a lot of us get a lot of our climate change reporting, you know, through the Guardian. It, it, it is a it is a sort of um, a jarring mismatch, and so I think it's only a matter of time.
1: Yeah, I, I was just going to say, it's sort of, an, an on a slightly more detailed and smaller level than those b- b- broad and very important things that you've sort of flagged up. But everybody, if they think if they think about it, in their own sphere of interests and uh, associations. Um, can probably find a way of, um, on a micro level, addressing this issue in their their family, their group of friends, or even, you know, interacting with, I, I think with my kind of pro cycling hat on, it kind of still blows my mind that the best funded cycling team in the world is sponsored by a, yeah. a manufacturer of, of SUVs. and um, I'm
4: glad we've got onto that, actually. Let's talk about that for a minute, Ned, because yeah. that is, you know, so if you look at the history of tobacco advertising, when they got banned from advertising in general, the, the last refuge was, was sport, sport. And suddenly sport a load yeah. of money came into sports sponsorship, yeah. you know, um, early Ecclestone and everything, or you know, all, all of that. And, to some extent, although they haven't been banned from regular advertising, that's what you're seeing here. You know, you get the aura, um, that, that, you know, the halo effect from being associated with, with athletes and sports brands. And it is particularly, perverse and wrong. Well, they, 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 they did a
1: photo shoot not so long ago. Um, uh, you know, they rolled out, we're talking about, let's, let's, let's face it. We're talking about the Enios Grenadiers. Let's name them. Um, but they, uh, they got a couple of the riders to kind of lean casually on the front of one of these Grenadiers and kind of slightly ironically, they propped their bikes up against the front grill of this beast. And it just, all it did to my mind was just flag up just how dangerous they are to cyclists. It was kind of, you know, you just imagine the collision
4: (laughs) So they haven't they haven't we you know we've got no figures yet for the CO2 emissions per kilometer of the Grenadier. but you you know looking at the vehicle I mean it's going to be it's going to be north of 200 isn't it um
1: Well and- I mean you know don't, don't they they've f- don't they produce petrochemicals as well? So I mean, it's they, kind of, they do in Ineos. Kind are, of, exactly, kind of the, the Alpha and Omega. They've built their own virtuous circle there, haven't they? So. I mean, not
4: just not just petrochemicals. You know, Ineos are the frack master General in in the UK. You know, they they were the they were the biggest advocates, biggest corporate advocates for the push for fracking in the UK, which. You know, only got defeated through a massive sort of popular uprising against it because people didn't want it. Um, so it is. It seems so wrong. It seems so wrong that's, that the cycling team. Yeah, is- but all,
1: all I can say is that you know they. they <laughs> it's probably incumbent upon cycling fans who feel that way to make their feelings felt. You know, and that, yeah, and that is a, that's no. a little thing that you can do quite clearly, and they probably would take, sit up eventually and take notice. I would imagine. Mm. Um.
3: Leo, uh, we we've talked a lot about um, car advertising, but obviously you you, you know so much about um, the the perils of climate change. I think we were just asking you as we as we finish up to um, give us your view on on the government's um, what's described as the radical new climate change commitments, um, which will set the UK on course to cut carbon emissions by seventy eight percent by twenty thirty five. Um, what do you what do you make of it? Do you think there's going to be enough action to make that actually happen? Um, and, uh, and yeah, give us your take.
4: Yeah, OK. So, I mean, listen, my take is this is great. It is great. It's particularly great right now because uh, for diplomatic reasons, we're hosting COP26 and the new Biden administration is going big on climate. And actually, if we didn't have Britain out there in front, you know, our commitments in the UK, Boris Johnson's commitments on this are considerably more ambitious than Joe Biden's and it's worth listeners understanding that, right? So, you know, we've got different baselines and things, but without the UK having kind of been an outlier and and making these commitments over the last couple of years, so the last thing Theresa May did before leaving office was sign the net zero legislation. You know, that is her legacy. It's a fantastic legacy. Let's just gloss over everything else she did as prime minister. Um, You know, it's a fantastic legacy to leave. And the UK making this, this commitment, um, is just incredibly important diplomatically. Now, of course, the truth is our track record, you know, the, we don't have the policies in place to meet it and we don't have the policies in place to meet our existing commitments that we already had, which we are already well off course for meeting. Um, so it's also, I, I, I think, worth saying that, um, although I like really welcome these and, you know, the, 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 new, the new target is both world-leading right so it's it is a more ambitious target than any other major economy uh, major industrialized economy has um it's still not adequate and so you know from sort of the climate justice campaign community will tell you that the uk's own targets you know our net zero by 2050 goal it's not adequate it's not sufficient we're not we're not doing our fair share when it uh, when it comes to cutting emissions but of course you know it's so it's both things at the same time it's both better than anything anyone else has put on the table and not good enough um so yeah that's that's it we've got we've got to welcome it at this point in time because i think an important bit of context is it is a country mile better than the climate change commitments of any other right wing government anywhere in the world right and this is a very right wing government that we have and it's so it's terribly important that they are you know they're following the science?
1: Well, um, I would I would suggest we leave it there because you've left us on a bit of an upbeat note, which is nice. Um, the it's glass, great. the glass is either half empty or indeed it's half full or somewhere in between. Uh, but let's concentrate on the half full bit for now. Um, really interesting stuff, Leo. And um, I'm feeling really bad about my SUV that I hired, um, so I'm going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> go away and reflect on myself and the damage Needs must, unfortunately. Um, excellent. <laughs> Listen. Good luck. More strength to your arm. Keep it up. And um, you know, I'd probably encourage everyone who's been listening and absorbing your words to try and uh, get involved and um, sign the petition. And just remind us very briefly, Leo. Where do they sign the petition? Where do they go to? Uh,
4: Badverts. dot
1: Adverts.org, folks. All right, brilliant. Um, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much, Leo. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us and review us and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Catch you all next time.
2: Bye.
4: Bye. Bye bye.